to a new series from the Messy Reformation. There's been a lot of discussion and deliberation coming out of Synod 2022 around issues of sexuality. Much of the discussion has focused on whether the decisions made were good or bad, helpful or hurtful. However, Synod made some other declarations that we need to pay attention to. Synod repeatedly encouraged churches throughout the CRC to start having discussions about what it looks like to do pastoral care with those who are sexually struggling. Synod stated that the Human Sexuality Report offered sound introductory guidance for churches that should serve as conversation starters on how to best do pastoral care in these circumstances. Synod also stated that continuing conversation around pastoral care might have a powerful influence on elements of congregational life, such as gospel preaching, faith formation, the diaconate, our missional calling, the sacraments, and church discipline. With these strong encouragements from Synod for continued conversation on the topic of pastoral care for the sexually struggling, the Messy Reformation has decided to begin having some of those conversations, and we plan on dropping these episodes every Wednesday evening. We want to state right away at the beginning of each episode that we view these conversations as the beginning of a conversation. There's no way we can comprehensively discuss every element of pastoral care in such a small period of time. However, we want to start having the conversation and build from here. It's also important to remember that conversations go both ways. We don't want these conversations to remain between the people on the podcast. We want you to get involved as well. As you're listening to these conversations, we would love for you to be in conversation with us. We'd love for you to write down any questions, concerns, or pushback you may have, or anything you really loved about each episode. Then send that feedback to us at themessyreformation at gmail.com. We'll use your feedback to help us build future episodes to further answer your questions and concerns and then further the conversation. We're really excited about the opportunity to begin moving this conversation forward in a way that equips the saints, builds up the church, and brings glory and honor to God. So, get your pens and journals and enjoy the next conversation in our series, Pastoral Care for the Sexually Struggling. have a conversation here with Peter Rockhold about um, diving in deeper on doing pastoral care for those struggling with same-sex attraction. But before we dive into that conversation, Peter, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and and why we're talking to you about this, this topic? Yeah, so I am somebody who's attracted to the same sex and committed to celibacy, and I'm a pastor in the CRC, and uh, it's... Uh, Something, it's been an interesting couple of years, especially with the the HSR and a lot of the conversations I've been having with churches about that. Uh, But yeah, this has been a big topic for most of my life. Like I uh, began to realize uh, my attraction to the same sex in middle school. Um, In high school, I was uh, involved with uh, Exodus International and those sorts of organizations for a couple of years. And after that, I went through a whole crisis of faith and uh, went to Bible college to figure things out. (laughs) And so it's uh, like every normal person does. Uh, So, and in that process though, of going to Bible college, I fell in love with theology, specifically historical theology, wanted to go into ministry. And, uh, and so, yeah, but always, always in my life, it's been just kind of, sort of figuring out how like the um 
the attraction to the same sex I, I'm I'm dealing with and my faith, like how those things basically interact together, how to live as a, a Christian, how to pursue uh, holiness uh, in this situation. And it's, um, and it hasn't been easy. There's been a lot of uh, complexity along the road. Um, and so <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, part of me enjoys having these conversations because it's a topic that's like, uh, like very important to me, but part of me is just also exhausted at the same time. I'm like, man, is this always going to consume my life? And that's what it feels like at times, uh, especially in the past couple of years in the CRC. Yeah, for sure. Well, you and I have had that conversation too, because I'm like, ah, I really, like, I almost hesitate to interview you around same-sex attraction because I don't want you being pigeonholed as, oh, Peter's a same-sex attracted pastor in the CRC because you have so much more to offer than just this one particular struggle. And yet you have a lot of insight to help us understand what's going on because you're coming at it from a different perspective than most of what our culture is is talking about right now on this topic. Yeah, well, like, you're, you're totally right there because I... Man, I love reading John Calvin on a regular basis. I have a weird obsession with uh, 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 Scandinavian history, post-Reformation, and um, the, the theology that developed during that that time period. Like, I I love my historical theology, and I'm like, oh, people always focus on this other aspect of me. And I get it. It's the big issue right now, and I have a unique perspective, but it's like... Like one of these days, I just need to come back on here to talk about John Calvin, and uh, there we go. That's we'll get that we'll get that scheduled for sure. But but today, we one of the things that we want to kind of kick off this conversation on uh, pastoral care for those struggling with same sex attraction is is a lot of the the misunderstanding or even the word has come up like prejudice around around uh, people who struggle with same sex attraction. So. Um, maybe just kick us off and tell us what what has that experience been like for you and just kind of be, not being fully understood. Yeah, so that is, and I, I like the wording of like misunderstood because I, I feel like I'm constantly uh, misunderstood. Um, like one of one of the things like even even with these uh, um, um, conversations in the denomination, I don't always feel like I fit in a certain category all that clearly because I'm like, oh, I'm a I'm a traditional guy. I love my um, my uh, theology and I love Calvin and whatnot. But part of it too is I have a different uh, perspective on these um, um, on uh, theology and uh, uh, the Christian life in general, like. Uh, one of my favorite theologians is uh, John Frame, and John Frame has the uh, perspectivalism. So, like, it's not perspectivism. He doesn't think that, like, um, perspectivism is this sort of idea that you can't really know truth. But perspectivalism is, like, you do have, uh, we are finite beings, and we uh, don't get the full picture all the time. And so, because I have like a sort of different viewpoint on a lot of these things, um, I don't, uh, because of my perspective and situation I'm in, I don't always fit in categories clearly. So I, I just always feel misunderstood. So there's that. Um, but I've, I've experienced um, um, 
a lot of situations too where I am treated differently once somebody finds out that I'm attracted to the same sex. Like um, um, I I remember in high school I was in a situation where I worked at a Christian camp and uh, and I ended up telling them <laughs> while well, I was actually uh, gone for a couple weeks at a uh, Exodus conversion therapy conference. And when I came back, they were wondering where I was. And I am just a horrible liar. I don't know how to like make up fake situations or, or whatnot. I could just said I was on vacation, but then I couldn't figure out where I tell them I was on vacation at. Like it's a, uh, so I, so I told them like, um, like, Oh, this is a situation that I'm dealing with. Um, but, uh, yeah, they were, they, like that was the first time like I experienced where like they're um like, oh, we don't want you to be a camp counselor anymore. We'll have you do janitorial stuff. Um, I didn't know if I was gonna lose my job because of this. Like, oh. and it's and you can always tell when it's prejudice when like everything is all fine and dandy until they find out and like everything changes. Uh um and <laughs> and those sort of things have like that was my first experience uh but those sort of things have happened since then um and so it's a very real um a real thing like i know the media um or uh yeah the media or movies or whatnot just kind of hype that up and so a lot of people kind of reject um uh reject that that's even the case like oh that's this liberal bias just uh uh trying to make christians look bad but it's like no, it does happen. Like we we can we can be critical of the media and also recognize like, hey, this is a real thing that we have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think what happens uh, is kind of what you were saying, because the media has hyped up this bias. They probably ramped it up probably more than some of the reality, and so then people react out the other side of it and say, well, that's not a thing. Or one of the things that I've noticed is uh, there's such a fear. I think there's a fear in the Christian church that that we're going to um, embrace this, right? I think a lot of people would be the same conviction as you and I that like living this lifestyle out and practicing it is is not biblical, but the culture's pushing people into that. And so they almost react too strongly out the other side and they just are like, well, this is bad, 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 bad. Everything's bad about it because we don't want to like, become liberal, I guess, would be the the thing. And so they end up saying like, oh, you struggle with this? Well, we're going to kick you out as a camp counselor because that's bad. And yeah. not get down into the nuance of like, actually, how are you How are you responding to this struggle in your life? <laughs> would have been well, a really and, good... <laughs> and, and it's so interesting because with that camp situation too, when I look back at it, I'm like, I can't figure out to this day if they felt like I was unsafe to be around kids or if they didn't feel like dealing with parents if parents found out mm-hmm. and I like either one isn't good mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like I'm like was it like a complete misunderstanding or was it lack of backbone um and I I still have yeah I have no idea yeah, and they never explained it to you. They just like quietly moved you out to a different position and uh and then washed their hands and walked away. Yeah, yeah. And it's like and and I 
like well, I was gonna say I get it, but I don't. Uh, but this was like in a different like this was like 2006, I believe. Um, yeah. And so like a, a different time as well. But it's <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think what happens, I you correct me if I'm wrong. I remember like I've had to. So I've had to do my own repenting recently of, of different people who've struggled with same-sex attraction or different, just different sexual struggles in general, that over the years that I handled somewhat in that way, because I just didn't know what to do. I was, uh, and so that, this probably ties in really good to this misunderstanding aspect of it, where I had, you know, kids in my youth group who were struggling with this, and we would talk about it a little bit, and they kind of knew that I was... Like, I thought that living this lifestyle out was was not God-honoring, and yet that was part of their identity, and so we had this weird impasse, and I'm like, I don't really know how to keep handling this, and so the easiest thing for me to do right now is just to push it off to the side, ignore it, and pretend like it's not a thing. But what happens, it seems like, when you do that, it just breeds more misunderstanding right because now you're you're not actually diving into the mess of this person's life trying to understand like the complexity of their struggle and it's just it's a lot easier for you to, to just shove it off to the side and and move on yeah i i think i think that's exactly it and one of the things that i've learned too is i i generally trust people's intentions like uh when i have experiences of prejudice or misunderstanding those sorts of things um i've realized i'm like i actually don't think that person meant any harm even though it was like a very offensive or hurtful uh situation and that's one of the things that i always keep in mind um because because there are a whole lot of complexities and fears with within all of this like i i remember a situation where like somebody who is pretty close um to me and close to my parents um when they found found out about me they like immediately called me an abomination and just that was the last thing i ever heard from from them and like i was very hurt for a long time because this is somebody that was very close to us and one of the things that i'm determined though like is uh I don't have any um, hard feelings toward that individual. If that individual um, comes back and and tries to correct things, I'll immediately welcome them back with open arms. Like it's uh, working working with that intention of like I I will I will forgive them no matter what. Like it's uh, um, there's so many complexities with within all of this. So that's something that I try very hard to hard to do but it's not always easy <laughs> no it's tough right and and that's one of the one of the things i think if you know if we're going to get beyond and i think what the reason why we wanted to talk about this at the beginning is some of the the misunderstanding around that is because it's it's that's really the first barrier to actually doing pastoral care is is really trying to understand the the person and understand understand their unique struggle and, and what's going on in that. And, and that's really hard to get there. And it actually takes a lot of time, I think, to get there. And so that's why people are, it's easier to just kind of push it off to the side. But, but I think really, if we're going to do pastoral care, we need to just like, just say, 
I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm probably going to say something offensive. I, I'm sorry. I just want to understand. And I think if you come into it with that, with that kind of a mindset, people have a lot of grace, right? And then, and then for the person that we're counseling, on the other hand, they need to have grace realizing like, this person doesn't understand me. So they're going to say some really stupid and offensive things. And uh, I need to have grace for them because at least they're trying. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I will say generally, uh, people are open to clarifying questions of like, what language uh, do you use or what language would you prefer me to use or, or uh, um like those those sorts of things, like those clarifying questions, uh, um, aren't uh, offensive to most people. Uh, that's of course a generalization there. Uh, but one of the unique things with this situation too is if we were just talking about uh, sexual ethics, that's one thing that would be much simpler. Uh, but now an entire culture has developed around uh somebody's orientation like and it's a a culture with a history where they have their uh uh like famous individuals in the past uh they uh, have traditions um like so many ways what we need to be better at as christians is like uh being culturally aware being missionaries which uh um like christians are supposed to be shocked yeah um, <laughs> And and so it's like we often forget that there's an entire culture wrapped up into into this and uh, people within our churches who are attracted to the same sex, even if they're on the fringes of this culture, they're still being pulled into it. So yeah. it's it's important to ha uh, be culturally aware of everything that's happening, too. For sure. Well, and if we would. Uh take that concept that this is a, a culture, um, then we should engage in the same kind of cultural exegesis uh, of that culture to understand them rightly, I think, right? To understand those who are struggling with this. And I think that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but but the people I've, I've uh, ministered to who've had these kind of struggles, they're, they're pulled into that culture because they, they get into it and they say, finally, somebody who understands me, right? That's kind of the pull into the culture because, hey, I'm around people who who know me, they understand me, they understand my struggles, and so I finally feel at home here. Yes, yes and no. Um, there is, there's definitely some, some truth uh, to that uh, because community is an essential thing. Um, uh, but it's more than just a personal understanding of acceptance. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is when somebody opens about their orientation, they're also placed within to within that culture, uh, no matter what. So, like for example, for me, um, before I uh, uh, told my church or told like a lot of friends and family, I didn't see myself as a part of the gay community at all. I never used terms like gay or anything like that. Um, and even after I came out, I didn't use that terminology. But the um, culture around me, um, that's the only terminology that they have and that they use. So they've actually uh, 
uh, place me into the LGBTQ community. Like I, so it's not always a, a, a personal choice of like, oh, I'm finding my community, my acceptance. Um, our culture has created these categories that even uh, straight people use, and and it's a, uh, um, and it's hard to break people out of that. So, so it's like it gets really dicey and complicated uh, as a result. Yeah. Uh, so what is it? Cause I, I know, you know, some people have struggled with using different types of terminology, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be associated. You know, there's all this identity conversation and I don't know if mm-hmm. we'll dive into that right now. Maybe we can dive into that right now, but so I don't want the, my, I want my identity in Christ, right. And not my identity in my sexuality. And yet, um, you were saying like, so you were trying to have those two things separately as you were talking to people. And now you're like, is it just easier to say like, fine, call me what you want to call me. And then let's just start talking about where I'm at and, and how to try to live this out faithfully to Christ. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, I don't care what you call me right now. That's, that's essentially it. Like the way I kind of see it. And I know this isn't exactly the same and maybe some people will cringe at, at this, but it's a, uh, um, when I think of the Galatians passage of uh, uh, where Paul talks about um, like the the barriers that Christ removes between Jew and Gentile, uh, male and female, uh, slave or free, um, it's like with this developing into a sort of cultural thing, it's a similar aspect. It's not exactly the same, but it's just like like. Uh, these weird cultural barriers have now been built up. But I know within Christ that those barriers don't exist. Um, And so I'm like, people can call me what they want to call me, and um, they can place me into the communities that they want to uh, place me into. And um, I will, no matter what, I'm still going to uh, try to live as a faithful Christian, try to follow God's law. um, And it's, it's like, uh, I, I know ultimately though, in Christ, these barriers don't exist. So I'm, I'm not gonna, um, even though they look rather large, humanly speaking, I'm like, they, they really are minimal. And so I'm just going to function under, under that sort of thinking. Yeah. I think that's helpful. I mean, I think we all just need to realize in some level, um, out in the world, I guess, if you want to use that, we're all being placed in various different categories, right? I mean, everybody, whether it's your sexuality or not, like you go out in the world and people identify me. Actually, most people don't identify me as a pastor. Most people look at me and they're like, are you sure you're a pastor? Like, you don't look like a pastor. Hey, I get that a lot too. So we, yeah. we have something in common here. Yeah, but <laughs> I mainly get associated like with being a redneck, right? So, and, and like, in in Christ, there is no redneck, and <laughs> but like I'm fine, right? You can you can kind of associate me with whatever group I am. I'm going to be who I am in Christ, right? I think that's probably at the core. Like, associate me with whatever group you want me. Call me whatever you want me. Label me, um, but at my core, I'm finding my identity in Christ, not not in all of these other la- labels, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it, and I. I think we do need to be clear though too like not everybody's situation is is like is like mine <clears throat> for some people it is like a personal identity and that gets a little dicey but we shouldn't 
we shouldn't assume that just because somebody uses like language like gay or LGBTQ that they immediately have taken on this personal identity with a telos that's attached to it. Like it, it could be that, uh, but we shouldn't, there's um, there people who are Christians who are attracted to the same sex have these conversations all the time. So it's, it's not like we're oblivious to like the, uh, idea of identity or like um, that the uh, um, the language we use has an impact on our lives. We talk about it. We think about this all the time. So don't, don't assume that like, wait, what our identity has an impact on us. Like, yeah. and, and I, I've seen that though before where people, uh, uh, people who aren't attracted to the same sex or are new to these conversations it's almost they're like like how do you not see what i see and it's like yeah. like we thought about this before too it's <laughs> they're kind of like they're kind of like the new cage stage calvinists right they're coming to all these new conclusions like whoa and then you're like yeah i've kind of been in this struggle for a really long time kind of been thinking about it <laughs> deeply like i i've been thinking mind. about it since my middle school years so it's like but but I'm also, I'm very, I don't get upset at it either because I'm like, I like, these are very important things, very important issues I'm also passionate about. So I do like seeing people who are passionate about these things. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, just need to step back a little bit and nuance and, and listen. And Yep. Well, it's the same. I mean, it's funny. I, I'm making the joke, but it's literally the same conversation I have with like a cage stage Calvinist, right? Mm -hmm. I am so glad you're excited about Calvinism and, but you're a little crazy. Just calm down. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, not everything's about this. Let's, let's dive in and, and push deeper. And so, yeah, you're excited that they're, they're coming to these conclusions that people are finally starting to understand these things a little deeper. Mm -hmm. um, and now trying to help encourage that conversation and help people think through some of the nuance behind it and understand, uh, yeah. And understand again, that's really, um, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you is, you know, do you feel like you're always trying to help people understand you? Like you're like when you're having a conversation with somebody, especially about your sexuality, are you constantly trying to like clarify, like, yes, I have this struggle, but it's not who I am. And, and are you always kind of feeling like I just have to explain myself all the time? Oh, yeah, but not not in exactly the way you just phrased it, though. Yeah. It um, but people, people always want to put me in a category and they misplace me, um, all the time and it, it throws them off. So it's like, like one of the things I've noticed with the HSR is I've been, I've been critical of, of the HSR. I have a lot of my nuanced critiques. And so like a lot of people, uh, have interpreted me as like, oh, he's like uh, off the deep end liberal. But I, I also signed the majority report. They're like, oh wait, like where, where is this guy? Like where does he belong here? Um, and it's like, I'm, I'm like, just because I'm nuanced and critical does not mean I hold a different position. Correct. It's, uh, uh but I've also seen it on on the other side, uh, uh because like I am somebody who is very passionate about um like uh the these sort of issues of issues of misunderstandings and prejudice and and some of the other topics that we'll talk about in later episodes um like i 
so people on the uh, liberal affirming end, whatever you want to uh, uh, label that that category as well, they don't know where to place me because they're like, oh, you're talking about issues that we care about, but you don't affirm same-sex marriage. And it's like, it, I, I throw everybody for a loop. And, uh, and I do get a little tired of, of that. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, all I'm trying to do here is I'm not trying to be conservative or liberal. I'm just trying to be biblical. Like I'm trying to live out as a Christian that's um, and trying to follow God's law. And that's all that I'm trying to do. So I, I'm getting a little tired of the categories that we so often make in our culture and that we want to place people into where like the question we should be asking is like, what does God's law say? Are we trying to follow that? Like I'm, I'm a 10 commandments guy through and through. I love the third section of the Heidelberg catechism. And it's just like, how do I live this out in my day-to-day life? That's all I'm trying to ask here. Yeah. Praise God. Well, what are, what are some of the other, you can talk about just your own personal experience or just uh, the experience of others you've talked to, what are some of the main like misunderstandings that people have when they're entering into a conversation um, with someone who struggles with same-sex attraction? Or um, maybe I'll ask it a little bit different way since we're officially focusing on pastoral care. Like what are some of the misunderstandings that we should be aware of as we're entering into a conversation with someone who struggles with same-sex attraction and some of the misunderstandings that we might have that we don't even realize we have? Yeah, well, I think I think an important thing to look at are the double standards that we hold without realizing it. Like, so for for example, when I uh, uh, disclosed to my church about my my orientation, that was an incredibly stressful experience. Uh, it took about nine months of planning. Um, my church handled it well. They were they were fantastic, uh, uh, but it was tricky. It was a complicated situation. I'm like, I'm like, okay, and this is a little crazy because I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm following God's word. I hold to the uh, positions of the denomination rather closely. Like I'm a big fan of 1973, uh, and it's it's like this shouldn't be an issue. Like none of this should be an issue. And it is, uh, like it was a very, uh, stress inducing period of my life. Um, now that's a different situation because I'm, I'm a pastor. What about the person in your church? Um, you'd be, you'd be surprised with how many people, in our churches who hold to the same position as me um, and uh, uh, are just not open to anybody in their church. Um, and I know, I, I know a, a decent amount of individuals in our churches that, that are in that position and they refuse. Well, I shouldn't say refuse. They're too, scared to come out or to tell anybody or whatever language you want to use there uh, simply because they don't know how the church is going to react. They don't know if the church is going to make a big deal of it. They don't know if their families are going to make a big deal of it. Uh, some people I know um, are scared of even being rejected by their families or their church or being kicked out. And, and that's a legitimate fear because I also know people um, who have been kicked out of um 
churches and CRC churches specifically. And, and so it's that double standard that, that we have there of like, if we actually hold to this position that they're um, uh, somebody who's attracted to the same sex um, can like still live out um, um, like still follow Christ and uh, be sanctified and live out a holy life like the rest of us and should be included in the church. We shouldn't make a big deal out of this. Like, it, we need we need to stop freaking out and see seeing every situation like this as a problem. It's like um, so. What happens is people who um, are attracted to the same sex and decide to pursue, uh, um, um, yeah, marriage to the same sex. Like they will uh, let their churches know they will leave the church. And those are the only stories that the church hears. And then there are people who are attracted to the same sex, uh, who, um, uh, try to, um, hold to the more, uh, uh, traditional perspective, the denominational position on these issues, uh, but they're too nervous or scared to tell anybody. So we're only hearing like one voice in the conversation. Um, and it's that, that sort of thing just needs to stop. Yeah. And so, oh boy, I've got a lot of questions. Um, (laughs) so I guess maybe just the first natural question is what, what steps do you think we need to take as a church to, to help change that, to help people feel, uh, you know, people who are holding to this orthodox position on sexuality and struggling with same sex attraction, what can we do in the church to help them feel welcome to to reveal that so one one of those things and the hsr points this out but i actually don't think to the degree that it should have um but i like that i did mention this is our idolatry to marriage within churches because if we um have this if all of our sermon illustrations uh only uh include people that are married and have kids um or if we uh if all of our church programs are only for married people um or if we only only uh like for elders and deacon nominations if we only include people who are married like those sorts of things um if we idolize marriage and then there's a group of people that probably will never get married they will automatically realize like i don't belong here Mm. um and so like we we need to we need to do a much better job of like being single is also a biblical vocation it has this eschatological significance we're looking forward to the return of christ like we need both the married people who illustrate the gospel now and the single people who illustrate the gospel at christ's return and if churches don't do a good job of of changing that dynamic no matter what the person who's attracted to the same sex and realize that they're always going to be single um, will never feel comfortable being a part of that church community because everything that the church does does not include them Mm. that's a good word yeah and uh and I think, uh, and this gets me out of the cynical camp, and this is maybe not necessarily helpful for this conversation, but my frustration has always been that, you know, churches, the church growth mentality 
has been we need to focus on families with young children because they they bring in a lot of people at once and then they have young children who grow up and reproduce and this is like mm-hmm. this reproducing um, and it's all focused on church growth and business models and not on like biblical community which is like the body of Christ where uh, you know my devotions this morning first Corinthians 12 where actually the weaker the more di- well I'm not saying that I'll people who struggle with same-sex attraction are dishonorable, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the, 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 the dishonorable, the, the weaker brother are the ones who have more honor. Right. And so um, in the body. And so, and that, not just them. I mean, we have tons of people in our church who, who actually the congregation kind of looks down on, right. Whether whatever different struggles they have, or maybe they don't have very good social awareness and they say things that, <laughs> that really bother people. Right. And everybody's like, oh, it's them again. And I'm thinking that scripturally, they're the ones who have more honor in our in our churches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's important for us to to be thinking about about the whole body and making sure that we're we're functioning in that way. Well, and the interesting thing is when churches stop idolizing uh, just the family unit it would actually help out a whole bunch of people uh because like almost every church has um uh elderly people or maybe young people who've lost their spouse and are now single and uh if we don't address the the singleness like uh, um those people are left out too so we need to do a better job of including uh, people who aren't married for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of one of my big passions is bringing back the monastery, uh, which uh, is probably um, uh, uh, heretical to to some some of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a uh, Calvin, Calvin and Luther, and a lot of the early reformers, uh, even though they chose not to reform the monastery, did leave opening for monastic communities um, of like they shouldn't um, take lifelong vows um, and they should be involved with the local church and those sorts of things. And I'm like, hey, we can have a reformed version of the monastery that that is fully reformed, fits our theology, but what it does is it provides a community um, for the single people in our churches in a way that they can serve the wider church community. Like we, we really need to be putting our efforts into these things. So Peter, as we kind of wrap up this portion of our conversation about misunderstanding and, and pastoral care, I just want to ask, you know, for, for pastors who are wanting to engage wanting to do a better job of pastoral care for those who are struggling with same-sex attraction in their churches, as they're encountering these people in their churches, what advice do you have for them as they begin to engage in pastoral care? And as uh, just to kind of overcome some of the possible misunderstandings or how to, how do you engage helpfully in this process? So first of all, you should, <clears throat> pastors should always assume that there's somebody who's attracted to the same sex in their church community. Uh, I have heard countless times from CRC pastors that there isn't anybody in their church who's attracted to the same sex. And I'm like, I, I doubt it. I'm sure there is. Um, uh, even if everybody in your church is married, because you have, (laughs) you have no idea how many, how many, uh, people I know who are attracted to the same sex and are married for, uh, to the opposite sex for a variety of reasons. 
um and uh, it could be it could be that they didn't tell their spouse beforehand or they were really close friends and wanted to somehow make this work or or whatnot there's a whole variety of situations that that could take place so uh when you assume that there's somebody in your church that's attracted to the same sex that actually changes your behavior automatically because then you're like aware of like of the language that you try to use, the tone that you try to use, the um, when your sermon illustrations or whatnot, like it's uh, just assume it. Um, another another thing is when you're listening to stories. Um, some of the other topics we're going to cover as well as uh, shame and loneliness. I, I often tell people, pay attention to the prejudice, shame, and loneliness that this person is experiencing. Um, because when you look at those key themes there, you can see how the gospel really changes uh, the person's life in that area. Um, because like when we just focus on the sexual ethics... Uh, we don't realize that there are other problems taking place. And so, uh, like, so for somebody like me, for example, it doesn't really make a difference of like, oh, we believe that um, uh, homosexual sex is a sin. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sleeping around or anything like that. So it doesn't make a difference to me, but I'm dealing with all these other issues. Yeah. Um, and so in your conversations, look for the prejudice, shame, and loneliness. So if uh, somebody is experiencing prejudice, um, remind them or communicate to this person that there are no barriers within Christ. We're all part of uh, God's family. Uh, we, um, like, um, somebody who is attracted to the same sex is not considered less within God's family. Communicate that truth. Um, but with that communication, there should also be the action of like, are we doing practices that would exclude this person and also listen to, to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good word because I think, uh, um, as I've talked to various, I don't know what you want to call con conservative people hate the word conservatives and I don't know either, but I hate labels in general, but we'll just say conservatives. They they go into some of these conversations and they're like, all right, I have to get to through this conversation knowing that they need to know that I love them, but I disagree with where they're at. You know, like that's where I got to be. And, it, and maybe that like comes down the road, but maybe the first conversation is just, can we talk? And uh, let's talk about where you're at. And let me just take some time to to get to know you, to get to know your struggle and not with this agenda I have to, I have to confront, I have to rebuke this, this agenda right now, like maybe eventually down the road, but like, just start off, build the relationship with this person, even if it's somebody, right? I, I mean, I think this is true of somebody who's even trying to live out like they're, they fully embraced their homosexual identity, they're embraced the culture, they're living it out, they're, they're promoting it or whatever, you know, even that person, you don't have to come in and just like crack them over the head. Like sit down and talk to them and figure out why, why are they embracing this, you know, uh, this identity? Why are they embracing this culture? Why are they doing that? What struggles are they experiencing? Because like you said, their, their sexual struggle is like one of 
of lots of other struggles that we can mm-hmm. pastoral care for. I think I think that's a really helpful word. It, it's I think I think that is exactly right because <laughs> the the reality is you don't have to like uh, to be a person of integrity. You don't have to right away tell them your beliefs or your opinions or your convictions on these issues begin with just listening because you you might be surprised uh you might agree with this person uh don't just assume that you'll automatically disagree uh like uh but you won't know if you don't begin with just listening yeah and i think a huge part of just pastoral care right is listening and trying to get to the the underlying causes of why what's going on is going on right not if it's not if not just around people who struggle with same-sex attraction but even people who are like couples who are cohabitating why are you doing that what's what's underneath that what what needs are you trying to have fulfilled through this lifestyle that you're living or or someone who struggles with porn or whatever Really, our pastoral care isn't to address the the symptoms on the outside, but it's to get down into the heart issues that are underneath that. And like you're saying, that's really why when we start sitting down with people in particular who are struggling with same-sex attraction, we should be looking for prejudice they've experienced, shame that they're feeling, and loneliness that they're feeling, because these are really some of the core struggles that, um, that that they're wrestling with, right? And I will bet you anything that the people in your church churches that are attracted to the same sex they've heard uh harsh demeaning language about them like it's that's the reality of it and so churches churches need to to realize like oh the the tone matters the language matters um it's uh it's essential (laughs) uh because you don't easily forget if somebody says pretty demeaning things about people in your situation that's it for this week's pastoral care conversation stay tuned next week to hear peter and i talk about the issue of shame until then don't forget this is christ church and he bought it with his blood and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock so keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.